This week's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavour, attenuates well and is just excellent to brew with. So, for more information about Alaman's products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryber in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com. That's crispmalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Welcome back, friends, to the hoppiest podcast in town. Guaranteed 22 grams per litre. Come on. Hello. That's right. The Hop Forward podcast is back, baby, for a fourth season. And to be honest with you, this may be the last season. (gasps) Yep. Cue the tears. (laughs) And the sadness. <laughs> but it's been a long and winding road. The long and winding road. And I'm feeling the urge to brew more than I have been doing. So if I'm honest, I'm going to hold it lightly. Although my aim is to keep the show on the road for as long as it's fun and I've got mileage and capacity to do it. I'm going to move the show to once a fortnight. And if you're lucky, I might throw an extra hop edition in in between. But there'll definitely be an episode once every two weeks on either a Thursday or a Friday. Again, depending on which way the winds blow. So why the change, you might be asking. Well, I'm extremely lucky that I get to do the Hot 4 podcast as part of my job. And the beautiful thing is, because of the nature of my non-podcast work, helping breweries and businesses with their branding and marketing, I have a lot on my proverbial plate. Plus, I want to brew more with my own beers. And I recently discovered that sometimes, go with me with the analogy here, sometimes you get a better quality beer when you dry hop an IPA with 15 grams per litre rather than 22. So if I take that ethos, why create content for the sake of creating content? I'd sooner not stretch myself too thin 
and put together really good episodes of this show which come out fortnightly rather than mediocre ones that come out every single week. Anyway, that that's where the podcast is. So just a huge, massive, big thank you for tuning in after the Christmas and New Year break. Well, moving swiftly on, there's been one name on everyone's lips in the UK at the moment, trending on Twitter. And it's not Sue Gray, it's this. It's one of Scotland's greatest business success stories. Brewdog came in with a new way of presenting what beer was to the general public. The stunts they did, the type of beers they produced, caused headlines. I am, of course, referring to the BBC documentary that aired recently, Disclosure. A reporter, Mark Daly, did an absolutely fantastic job pulling this together, uh, investigating the truth behind the company's marketing and financial hype, and hearing some disturbing claims about Brewdog's corporate culture. And while these claims are old news to industry insiders, it's the first time that the mainstream media have reported on the culture of Brewdog, interviewing a range of industry experts, a group of ex-employees called Punks With Purpose, who wrote an open letter to James Watt and the company not too long ago, and even this exceptionally brave US employee who still works for the business who said this. I don't think that uh, leaders should be able to intimidate their staff. I don't think anyone should have to go to work and be afraid of what's going to happen to them. Um, especially not in an industry that should be joyful and fun and creative. Beer is for everybody, and it has to be everybody, not just the people who are in charge. I w would wonder why so many of us are disgruntled employees or ex-employees. I would say if you're not seeing any evidence um, you haven't asked the right people or looked hard enough. Those allegations have made many of us uncomfortable, myself included. I mean, the sheer bravery of this individual who still works there, going on a documentary like this and saying what she said so publicly, I mean, her bravery just needs applauding, really. And a site in the brewery tap room on Friday last week Wanting to record my thoughts on this, I thought I'll do a, an episode on my fermenting thoughts about the whole thing and put it out as a whole episode, just riffing on what I was going to say. But to be honest with you, I felt a little bit uncomfortable doing that because I have never worked at Brewdog. I don't know anyone that works at Brewdog. I've never met James. I don't know firsthand what that culture's like. And therefore, I don't feel qualified to throw rocks from the sideline just to create clickbait. I would much sooner have on the show people that have worked there or even people that do work there. And that's not me saying I'm discrediting anyone that spoke on that show because I'm really, really not. There's no smoke without a fire. And it's evident from watching that documentary and hearing the testimonies of people that have worked there that there's a fire. And that's what I thought was absolutely great about this documentary. It was real investigative journalism. And I don't think there's too much of that around these days. So I have one last reflection that I would like to share. And as many of you know, I left the mega church to start a microbrewery. I had a bad experience working this church. It all ended quite badly. And while that was happening in my life, there was this 
massive church in the States called Mars Hill Church, led by this rock star pastor called Mark Driscoll, who behind the scenes was bullying, misogynistic, crass, and just a bit of a knob. And allegations came out and essentially the church imploded and he swanned off to Phoenix and started a new mega church and it's all happening all over again. And a podcast came out last year and it ran for several months called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, where the author and journalist Mike Cosper spoke to former staff members, former pastors, former congregants there about their experience of Mars Hill Church and what went wrong. And the similarities between the Disclosure documentary and the culture of Brewdog are frighteningly similar to the story and culture of Mars Hill Church as talked about on the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And I think unless I'm willing to dig deeper and do that kind of journalism, then I don't want to throw rocks from the sideline just for cheap Twitter points and for clickbait. That's not who I am. So I'm hoping to get Punks With Purpose on the podcast to talk about it. A number of episodes back, I talked to Siobhan Buchanan and Charlotte Cook. Um, both have kind of been immersed in that whole bruised dog story. Charlotte used to work there. We talked about sexism in the beer industry. I'd recommend you go back and listen to that episode uh, we touch upon the brew dog thing a little bit there, if I remember rightly. But it's th- that's all I've got to say about that, to be honest with you, for the time being. I, c- I-, I could put a whole thing together about it, but I'm not going to. So if you've not seen the documentary, go watch the documentary. It's really fascinating. And I think it's worth it for this little moment alone. Brew tiny batches filled bottles by hand, man. So beers to markets at the back of the van and 08 is when they started to roll, getting lit by the content of Tokyo. And if you all don't know, 09's the year. You can first buy shares in Brewdog Beer. 2010, AGM begin to dominate in a tank on Camden. I mean, how do you follow that? There's only really one person who can follow something like that. And it's our good friend, Andrew Patterson from Lalaman Brewing, talking all about Kvike yeast. How's it going? Very well, yes. Yeah. How was your Christmas? Uh, it was good, thank you. How was yours? It was lovely, yeah. Excellent. So we're uh, going to round up our little mini-series and featurettes on uh, Lalaman yeast with Kvike Floss uh, this week. Yes, So yeah. um, It's a yeast that I've, not this particular um Lalaman yeast, I haven't used it, but um, just in terms of a, a beer style, like um, IPAs and things, it's, it's something I've only had a few times. So can you just give us a bit of a history behind the Kvike yeast? Because I, I know there's ties in with a, a family. Is it in Norway or somewhere like that? Or where was it? Yeah, the, the, the yeast that have been used for a very long time by farmhouse brewers in Norway. Yeah. Um, and Voss is actually a, a region of Norway, so right. it's where the name comes from. Um, I say like that, they're kind of different beers to the, the beers that we get uh, in the craft breweries. Mm. Um, so the traditional Clyde beer is like uh, made from like pale malt and boiled for like six hours. And oh, wow. Sometimes filtered, sometimes filtered through uh, juniper leaves and things. So it's, um, you know, the, the beer that they have in Norway is uh, very different to the yeast that people have found for it uh, in, in the craft world. Are, are, um, is, are there any craft breweries making that beer over here? No, no, and I really wish there were because I'd like to try it. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> amazing. Like, why is no one, why is no one doing that? <laughs> like, I, maybe it has something to do with the price of boiling for six hours. I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, but um, no, I would quite like to try a traditional one. But obviously, they really travel outside of Norway. So, if, if somebody out there fancies doing a proper traditional fight beer, I'd love to try it. Yeah, totally. So, I presume you're finding that 
breweries are using it more in uh, like IPAs and other sort of beers like that. So look, can you just talk a bit about how, how you're best off if you're in the UK or the US listening or wherever in the world you are, um, sort of making the best use of this yeast strain and what it does? Yeah, so you're right. And most people seem to be using it for IPAs. Um, and the unique thing about um, bike beer, bike yeasts, is that they ferment at very high temperatures. Um, so actually, the Ross will be quite happy at like 37, um, which is a bit strange for brewing yeast. You know, you go up to the tank and it's cementing, you put your hand on it, you're like, awfully warm. It's like, it's a bit weird. Um, but at those temperatures, that they ferment at very high rates. So you can actually do fermentation in probably like 48 hours in some cases. Wow. And at the same time, they don't produce like a lot of off flavors. So, you know, if you took a standard IPA yeast and you kicked it at 37 and you're going to be producing all sorts of horrible, <laughs> oh like word. higher alcohols and that's, you're probably going to have a little bit of a petrol kind of character to the nose. Uh, and the Kvagavans are really unique in that they don't do that. Um, so the Voss, uh, particularly if you go up to high temperatures, seems to produce kind of a nice kind of uh, orangey character, almost mm. like, almost reminiscent of kind of like a Fuller's yeast, that's yep. sort of kind of like citrus orange character. Um, which is weird, you know, like it, it, there's no kind of other family of yeast that seems to do something quite like that. And there's loads of these yeasts. So um, we've got within our collection about, I think probably about 30 now. Um, right. The only one we've launched so far is the boss, um, but there's, there's loads of them to play with. So, that, you know, kind of, we, we may launch another one in the next few years. Oh, happy days. So, I mean, with, with the Kvite boss yeast, um, I mean, you just mentioned about like getting it up to 37, and particularly at this time of year, it's quite cold. Um, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, um, you know, and a lot of breweries have problems with getting their fermenters just at a reasonable ale temperature at this time of year uh, without, you know, risking throwing in, you know, fish pond heaters and all the rest of it into your tanks. Like what what should a brewer do to keep their fermenters warm and happy other than like I mean, putting yeah. a scarf and mittens on it? Yeah. <laughs> But you can do that. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> no, I mean, because it's such a kind of rapid fermenter and fermentation is exothermic, so it creates heat as it goes along. If you pitch it uh, warm, so if you're pitching it at like 37, um, coming straight out of the kettle or the whirlpool, uh, the fermentation is going to be so quick that I don't think you're going to have too much problem with it cooling down before fermentation's done. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I just, just start it nice and warm. If you start it cool, obviously it'd be a bit tricky, but... Again, because it's quite a rapid fermenter, you might find that it, even if you do pitch it a bit cool, it probably ticks up on its own, even in the cold weather. Well, it must be the perfect yeast to use in summer when, you know, if you've not got a cold liquor tank, um, which I know a lot of breweries don't, and they're just using mains water on the heat exchange. And it's like, you can never get it down below 26. And then you're scrambling around to get your, your chiller, um, you know, and jackets going just to make it cool down a tank and battle with that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's great for things like that. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't have to worry about getting it really, really cold. Um, also good for like fast turnaround as well. So if you're trying to make an IPA and you want to do it in like, shorter periods than you would otherwise, a Voss uh, fermentation obviously helps because it's going to shorten your fermentation period by right. about three days. And what, what about when it comes to dry hopping? If people are doing like IPAs and stuff, obviously they're going to want to like put dry hops in there. If, if it's such a short turnaround time, like could you do that right at the start of fermentation just to sling them in or what, what would I mean, you suggest you could yeah you probably uh, the thing with putting in it right at the start of fermentation is a lot of the hop compounds are quite volatile um, and if you've got this really rapid fermentation some of them are probably going to like boil off so you might lose some of the flavors so i'd probably put it in more towards the end right um not like i mean if you want to get it done really quickly you can do it before the end of fermentation 
personally I'm, I'm quite a big fan of like uh hopping once it's cool i know that's right. not necessarily fashionable these days mm-hmm. but uh, my, my brain days of you know back in the kind of the peak time for west coast ideas and that's how you did it you, sort of, <laughs> you chilled it you took the east out then you dry hops um so i'm still quite a big fan of doing that but you can certainly put it in uh towards the end of fermentation and you'll benefit more there from uh your your biotransformation effects um, so yeah there's lots to be done with dry hopping so if you check out our website and uh, navigate to the distributors uh, page, you should be able to find out where uh, all the distributors are in the various countries that we operate in. You'll be able to get it from them. Well, thanks for being on the show again, Andrew, and for Lanaman's support. Make sure you check out Lanaman Brewing and their range of great yeasts. They have loads of knowledge on the size of fermentation to help your beers become truly spectacular with the help of their dried yeast cultures. Just before we hop forward into our discussion with Gavin Martin from Neeps and Bruco, talking about the cast market, locality, and his experiences moving his brew house from one location to another while trying to keep the brewery going, here's a word from our additional sponsor of the Hot Forward podcast and how you can find out more about Hot Forward and how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Today's show is also sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryber in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. Not only is Hot Forward a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. On the Hot Four podcast this week, I'm joined by Gavin from Neeps and Brewco in Sheffield. You alright? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's alright. How are things? Good, yeah, good. Yeah, obviously it's been a pretty challenging time as an industry but uh, yeah not bad not yeah bad. so just for our listeners um can you just tell us a little bit about the brewery a bit, a bit about history and how long you've been in the beer industry sure yeah so yeah we're, so we're neeps and bruco in sheffield we set up in uh 2015 so we're actually quite old and quite established in some ways now which is always kind of surprises me when i remember that because it feels yeah. like we're still quite a new uh, young young brewery in business um but yeah we're based in neeps ends which People outside Sheffield is it's um, possibly might have heard of Kelm Island. Um, it's, it's an old industrial area, Sheffield, and there's a lot, a lot of bars, a lot of breweries, a lot going on in the area. Um, and we set up just as, as, as a cask-only brewery originally, a ten-barrel ten brewery. When was that? When? When? Yeah, yeah. Uh, twenty fifteen. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's, it was June twenty fifteen. Uh, so nearly seven years. Now, it, when when, when um, you're across the way, and we'll, we'll come on to. That in a minute. Yeah. Um, did, did you take over from Little Ale Cart? Is that what it was before? Or yeah. So it was all it was all a bit complicated. Well, not that complicated really. So there was a there was a, a small 
I'm actually not sure whether they're a two and a half barrel or five barrel brewery um, called Little Alcart, who are based out of the back of the Wellington pub right. originally um, in just a little kind of, well, they used to always call it the little brick shed. Um, but then they'd moved, taken the decision to sort of upscale and move into a unit in the percent with a sort of new 10 barrel kit. Um, but it just didn't quite work out for, for various reasons and they were selling up. Um, so we bought their kit effectively and right. then it's, um, yeah, it morphed into, into Neep's End and then we've added a few other bits of kit over the years and, and then, and then yeah, moved sites a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was the sort of history of it. And then that, that, the, the Wellington pub is now one of our pubs yep. as well. So with, with, with the brick shed then, is that where there's, there's like a little, um, is it like a, an off license or something? I drive past it quite a lot. I'm like, what, I'm not quite sure what it is. It looks like it sells spirits and stuff, but yeah, is that where the, where Little Elkhart was, and is that and what is that little building now? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. So um, there was there's the, the pub one one side, and there's the, there's, an, there's a house, and then that that brick shed, which is now it's now called Roscoe Road Liquor Store. Right. Which, um, so I mean, the brewery doesn't own the pub di- directly. It's my business partner James who owns the pub, but he bought that building which we've been trying to do for a while and 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 the, the brick shed and which would have been uh january this year i think right uh, opened for february this year earlier this, uh, well last year sorry um and opened it as a, as a little off license um yeah called roscoe road liquor stop yeah is, uh, so it's an interesting area around there um so just for anyone listening it's an area called shales moor which is not too far from kind island and neeps end um because it, I suppose a bit like round here um, at Neeps End, which was, you know, even when you started, there wasn't really, apart from industrial units, that much round here, was there? No, I mean, it really is incredible how it's changed. I mean, I think we were, so yes, near, six and a half years ago now, um, and it was, things were just about starting then. I mean, Peddler Market, which is, it's, it's a, Big sort of street food kind of night market event brings a lot of people into the area. They 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 started up, um, or they moved into this area, similar sort of time as us, maybe maybe about a year later. Um, but other than that, all you really had is sort of gradually less used industrial space and a few in the Kellam area certainly a few great but more traditional pubs. Whereas now there's it's there's, yeah there's loads of new bars and sort of coffee places and, mm. and event spaces and yeah there's, the, the the way it's changed in a short period of time is is basically well, insane. We haven't sold; just opened a bar, salt brewery around the corner. Yeah, that used to be the Stew and Oyster, didn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure if Stew and Oyster had something, some kind of connection to do with Osset or some. Right. I think there might have been some link there anyway. But then, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, um, or just before Christmas, they. Uh, it, it rebranded and reopened as, as, as a salt brewery tap. Because um, Osset owns salt. There's definitely a connection of some kind. I'm not right. sure of the exact specifics. But they, okay, they, that would make sense then if they had stew and oyster. I presume in Leeds then, it's a similar vibe with the stew and oyster there. That's, a, I presume that would be a salt bar now, or? I don't know if they've, if they've got rid of the whole the whole chain or the whole brand, right. um, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I mean Osset have got They've got sort of three or four different brewing brands now, haven't they? I think, mm. and, and, and Salt obviously have expanded quite a bit. So they've just opened an, a brewery and brew tap in London as well, haven't they? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that people see Kellam Island as, as an area they want to kind of get a bite of now because it's uh, there's been so much development. Yeah, um, which is great. 
it's just uh, also kind of slightly worry that some of the older businesses and industries might get pushed out a bit, which is yeah. So I mean, how, how have you found then over the last um, five six years since you moved in to the original unit across the a couple of roads away? Um, just with with the area, how it's sort of blossomed with um, you know you've got Peddler Market pretty much integrated into this building more or less. Um, if you walk through a door, um, High Spruco literally around the corner. Now you've got the Cutlery Works um, with the bars in there and all the bars. Like, how have you found? I guess a couple of things. Um, how would you say it's changed your business for the better? And are there any areas where you find actually? it's harder to sell beer into local venues now because the area is so like renowned and, and well known um, and you get people coming from out of town to come drink around here that actually you know um, other breweries from further afield are selling in, you know their beers here like uh, like have you found it di- more difficult in some ways yeah it's interesting it's a good, it's, it's a good question because Considering the number of breweries that you could literally walk to from here very easily, and there's probably a good half dozen or, or so, possibly even more, mm. um, you probably won't really see that much of their beer on sale in the area. I mean, you've got places like the Kelham Island Tavern, which is a sort of a de facto bluebee brewery tap in a way, and they're, they're only around the corner. And we've got the Wellington, um, Kelham Island Brewery, we've got the Fat Cat. But you, you you wouldn't see a lot of Cal Island beer outside the Fat Cat. You wouldn't see a lot of Blue Bee beer outside the um, outside the Cal Island Tavern. Um, and that probably, yeah, that probably goes for a lot of the breweries. Yeah, I guess it's um, like the um, Harlequin as well with Exit Thirty Three. Yeah. And Pete. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Stanthorpe Brewery's at the way. They haven't got they haven't got a, a site here. Um, Little Critters is also just up the way. Um, I mean, Sheffield Brewery that you know, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I suppose partly because they've most of the breweries around here have got an outlet somewhere. That makes, maybe other venues are going to be less inclined to stocking their beer. Um, I mean, we've like, we've got yeah, so we've got the Wellington, and we've got a good relationship with the guys from Peddler um, and the guys from the old workshop. Um, so we've got you can find our beer in the area, but it's not. All over the place, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I think that probably goes to most most of the breweries around here. Um, I suppose it's m- perhaps more of an appeal for getting beers in from breweries out of town. Um, I mean, you do. I, I do think you find now, which I, I do. I do think it's a little bit of a shame. Obviously there's, there's loads of good beer out there, but a lot of there's a lot of bars, a lot of kind of craft beer bars that are broadly stocking kind of the same small selection of breweries and the yep. same sort of beers and it's you can go to a bar in Sheffield or Bleeds or Manchester or wherever and probably find a lot of the same beers which is not that they're bad beers but it just makes it a little no bit... well yeah you know, I know exactly what you mean I was in um, Whitby last April and um, there's a little bottle shop and I walked through the door and you just, well, it, it, incidentally, the first brewery that I saw when I walked through the door was Abbeydale. <laughs> you know, right. and I was like, um, you know, I, I've come from Sheffield and I can get that literally, uh, you know, round the corner from my house. Um, but uh, Abbeydale aside, like there was like all the, I'm not going to name it, but all like the, the quote unquote major craft beer yeah. breweries in the UK, not, you know, ind- independent ones. Yeah. And just like, 
Oh yeah, you know, and I said like, have you got anything that's local? And obviously, Whitby Brewery. I was like, well, is there anything else? It's like, well, the closest thing we've got is you know, it's like something like Northern Monk from Leeds. Yeah. And I'm like, but you know. Yeah. It's I, yeah. I, I hear you. I think I think it's. Um, I, mean, I mean, obviously, obviously, the quality's got to be there, isn't it? And the yeah. beer's got to be good, and, and everything everything around the brewery's got to be got to be worth stocking and selling. But it just it it. It is a slightly peculiar situation when you've had this explosion of like micropubs and bottle shops and, and independent venues, but often drawing from a relatively small pool of breweries when we've got so many different breweries and so many good breweries as well that aren't, that probably struggle to find the shelf space. Yeah, I, I, and I do think it's sad. Like, if, if I think about like Neeps and, um, you know, I've, all, I've always enjoyed your beers, they're always really different. And we'll come on to talking about your ethos and, and a brewery in a minute. Um, you know, and it's. I mean, one of my favourite pubs is the Blake, which is just around the corner from my house, and yeah. it's and it's 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 great to go try your beers there. And it's um, I I think you know it's, I always think it'd be nice to see a little bit more local variety on in other places, yeah. Um, rather than it always being the, the same, the usual suspects, so to speak, you know. Um, and I guess particularly in those, I hate using the word craft. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like those kind yeah. of like, the, the you know, craft beer, tap room, bottle shop type places. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. And obviously it's driven by what people want to drink. Um, and it, again, it, it's no sort of criticism of, of the craft to one of a better term breweries these, these kind of breweries are talking about because they by and large make excellent beer and that's mm. fantastic but it's just a, it, it's, it's that probably that lack of yeah lack of variety lack of like a local differentiation you know so it's a few years ago it seemed like the, the beer scene probably going, yeah, going back maybe 10 years probably before keg had really happened mm. um and it was more cask led pubs and you'd, you'd there, was, there seemed to be a stronger local connection, I think, um, and it was you'd go to a different area and and find the local the, the, the local brewers offering, and localism is great, you know. For, for there's there's so many reasons why it's, it's it should be even more relevant than ever now, you know, carbon footprints and food mm. miles and that kind of thing, um, and just the supporting small businesses, local businesses, that the money you're spending in the area, staying in the area, all that, all that kind of thing. And I think that has possibly refracted a bit in the beer industry uh, yeah I think you're right and uh, like I've I've discovered some really great breweries over the last couple of years since since lockdown really because of um, just through this podcast you know and particularly at first when we went into lockdown and um, people contact you saying oh, can, we, can we send you some beers you know um, either to review or just to just like a little care package and stuff yeah. and actually some of the ones that I enjoyed the most were from breweries I'd never heard of. Right. And I was like, you know, I would never have in any years sort this brewery out. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's like, say, you, 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 I think people quite often, and I guess this is the challenge for a brewery like yourselves that makes excellent beer, selling outside of Sheffield yeah. or, or, and so on. Like, uh, I think that, that the challenge is like, unless like you really invest heavily in like a brand yeah you know um and and building like a brand then it, it those you could be missing out some fantastic beer um 
because you know, pe- pe- like say you go to those bottle shops and you see whoever on the shelves yeah. that you're, f- you're familiar with because th- those brewer- and again, like I said, they do make excellent beer, but they've also really heavily invested in their brand and getting that kind of exposure. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, really. Um, so, I mean, j- j- just talk about your ethos with brewing, um, because you, you have one beer in your core range, is that right? Or do you still, you don't well, really, or do you even have a core range? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm referring to Blonde, but... Yeah, we've, 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 got, we've got two, effectively, now. We've got, yeah. Steady on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it took us about five or six years of brewing, to sort of, but we've, we've got the Blonde, which is, which is a very Sheffield, kind of 4% uh cask session blonde um which is always been our biggest seller um it's like the house beer at a few pubs um it's it's just a, yeah kind of beer that it's just a cracky uh, pint isn't it <laughs> yeah it's just it's designed so if you want to have four or five of them you can and and lots of people do and that's fantastic you know yeah. it's it's it, it's it, yeah it's 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 always been our sort of bread and butter of the brewery it's well like the, the, the very early days it was that was that was essentially what the brewery was it was what you know what what paid the bills and what what we needed to get right to start with um and, and then would have been uh last year yeah last year we, we sort of brought in our, sort of only our second sort of permanent fixture which is kind of a, a keg equivalent really um right. which is the, the it's called alsis session right. ipa citra mosaic um yeah very much the 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 keg equivalent of that cask beer a bit hoppier a, a, um but filling that same gap of a beer that people can have on their bar and know it's it's always going to be a, an option that you can have a few of and um we, we don't sell as much as, as much else as we do blonde um but it's it's definitely filled a nice slot for us mm. we, 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 we have it in keg all the time we have it in cans when we when we can and also, just going back to what we were talking about where we are in the area and everything that's going on here, we're literally adjacent to a, a bar called Factory Floor, which is which was um, um, a kind of project uh, done by the guys behind Ped the Market, and the, we fill up a tank beer there, and they have well, just about always have a tank of Altus on the go and, and get through quite a lot of that, and it's it's, nice. it's it's the kind of beer that's just right for that sort of shifting in volume and uh, so you literally pump it from your tank here into the tank there and <laughs> yeah yeah which is which is quite cool yeah it's just for, for under pressure fill it up and then yeah you know feet from where it's made and people are drinking out of wow. out our tank nice yeah so i mean talk about talk about the other ones because like um there, there are so many different beers you make just talk about your approach to making all the different beers and, and how you think about recipes and because i always find that they're, they're all they're all really quite different what you're brewing yeah, so I, I mean, right, right from the beginning, so aside from the blondes, we never planned or wanted to have a, a, a fixed range of beer. I mean, we do very much growing up as a cask brewery um, and probably applies you know, pretty broadly now anyway, but particularly at the time, Sheffield was a, kind of always been a, a, a pale beer and hoppy beer city. Um, um, so we've, we've always brewed a lot of pale ales, IPAs, you know, not not necessarily super strong, um, just 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 well hopped session pales mm. in cask, but we've always enjoyed just changing those up all the time, and that that, that was uh, that was the foundations. That's what we started from, really, just brewing lots of different, just, just trying new hop varieties, combining new hop varieties, and just and I think it it suited us because I didn't want to get bored by churning out the same beers all the time, and it suited customers because they liked to see new things and try new things mm. and then there's, there's there's plenty of bits we've gone back to 
um, and, you know, brewed several times, but it won't, they won't be regular ones. But then from then, obviously as a brewer, you just want to have fun and experiment and new, try new techniques. So, yeah, we, we, we've tried all sorts of styles, really. You know, we, we've ventured into sours in the last year or two, which we've never really done before, and that's been that's, they've gone down well, and that's been really fun. Um, we've, uh, we've got a, a Baltic porter in tank at the moment, which I'm quite excited by. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> it's about a good time of year to do that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we've always just tried to, yeah, you know, keep things interesting and keep 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 us on our toes and keep keep people on our toes, um, and not get too tied down to having to sort of sort of box ticking brewing in a yep. way. Um, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that either, because I, I, to myself as a drinker, I probably find I've swung a little bit more back towards liking kind of slightly more classic and well-made beers in the last couple of years or so. But um, certainly yeah, as a brewer, if you're just doing the same thing all the time, there's no room to grow or learn or develop or just have, have fun, really. And yeah. Like, not everything works out exactly as you intended it to, but um, that's part of it as well, and you learn from that and go again. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's ways around it, isn't it? Unless it's a complete and utter disaster, you know, you've, you've just got to be creative and, yeah. you know, and think it through. I, I was, before Christmas, I was, um, for an event I was doing at the Industry Tap, um, I was brewing a Heritage ESB oh, using right. Chevalier yeah. malt, and I, I was I was really looking forward to it. And um, just because oh, I've not really used Chevalier before, and uh, retrospectively, I don't think I went about it the right way. Um, ended up with beer that was like three percent or something. I was like, right. I really re- okay, I really can't package this. What am I going to do with this? So. Um, you know, it's, it's in a tank and I added some Brettanomyces and Pediococcus and it's going to sit there for a few years and yeah. hopefully see what comes out, you know, and it's, you, I think um, it, it, it's hard to throw beer away, even, you know, even on a small scale like I am, but particularly on a bigger scale, but, um, yeah. and, and, you know, and it can seem, I always think it can seem very, very noble on social media when people are like, we're dumping this beer and all the rest of it. But for most of us mere mortals, it's kind of like, You've ploughed like eight hundred to a gr- pounds to a grand into a particular beer ingredients or whatever, and yeah. duty. It's like like you've got to do everything you can to save that beer, yeah, and and work around it. Yeah, and and sometimes doing that and brushing a beer and coming back in two years and it'll be fantastic. And, and yeah, you know that's it's it's probably lots of great beers have have come about. Not in the way they're intended to be brewed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we we have thrown beer away, um, not that often, but I think every brewery has to do it occasionally. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, something's just gone horribly wrong. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's heartbreaking, and and uh, beer is pretty versatile and pretty broad as well. You know, I think they're normally things you can do to to, to obviously you can, it's got to be a product. That you're, happy, that you're happy with, happy with the quality of, but you can normally get there, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, um, the, the, the main thing I actually wanted to ask you about today was um, the, the process of moving the brewery. So you, you were in a unit a couple of streets away, and then you moved to this place, which used to be, was it Kit Locker? Is it, yeah, yes, yeah. so they're, they're like a sports uh, like clothing manufacturing company. Yeah, know? I used to sometimes look out the office window from Sheffield Brewery, which is just literally across the way. Yeah. <laughs> just, it was just like a, a swarm of bees and <laughs> people coming in and out of this building. 
So, um, and, and I was, because I'm sure they used to, was there a mezzanine flooring? Because I remember hearing yeah. about you moving here thinking, how on earth is Gavin going to fit his brewery in here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was quite hard to actually gauge the space because where, where we're sat now, it's, it, it, it was, there's a mezzanine floor, but it was wall to ceiling, just boxes. Right. <laughs> just loads and loads of, of their stock. And they, they like, just through the, through the door, they had, that's where they, they made stuff and then their offices upstairs. But it was just yeah, it was it was they've really maximised the space. Right. So um, what, what, why, why did you decide to move? Uh, or were you being forced out? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, lot, it's, it's a slightly long, complicated story. That it, it was so we, we we weren't forced out exactly, but the 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 landlord of our, our old site, which was a bit run down anyway, and like the roof leaked and. It, it was, I mean, most breweries are cold and wet to some extent, but it was, it was, it was particularly cold and wet and not, not, not great in that sense. But yeah, they, they, and again, going back to talking about the area and the development of the area, they have some fairly vague plans to redevelop that site into flats and into retail. Um, and so the, sort of the, we were coming to the end of the lease and the leases they wanted to offer to people, which is not... Not really viable for for a brewery, yeah. uh, in terms of security and length, and, and you know, as we discovered, moving it is, is is a big project that takes a long time. You, can, you, know, you need to you need to know you you secure where you are, um, and it was quite an ugly process because we you know we tried to sort of engage them a bit and then we tried to challenge it a bit, um, but ultimately just just for the sort of longevity of the, of, of the of the business, we, had, we thought well let's move and we wanted to stay in the area. Um, I mean, it does get. So it probably it probably is getting increasingly hard to find viable kind of industrial use space around here, mm. um, and the rents are certainly going up, and, and uh, yeah, there's more demand in the area. But we did the name of the brewery. Not that you know, there's plenty of breweries that have moved out of the area. They're based. We did, we, did, we did want to stay in the area, and we were lucky to find. Yeah, it is literally. It probably is literally a stone's throw. A good, a good hearty stone's throw from, yep. from, from, from where we were. Um, and next to Peddler's Market, as we mentioned, we have a nice relationship with them. So, yeah, it, it, it wasn't in the plan, moving, but uh, I think it has worked out for the better. We sort of took the, took the opportunity to make some equipment tweaks and do, do things, lay things out a bit better and get some new tanks and, and, and change things. I mean, it's, it's, probably slight, it's probably slightly smaller than it would have been absolutely ideal. It's quite, it's quite compact. Yeah. But we just sort of thought there were enough positives about it to make it to, to, to go for it so I mean talk, talk us through that process then of, of like literally moving your brewery because it's um, I know the the, the the thinking quite often is for when people set up a brewery like you should and I've heard this, a few people say this to me like you should always find a space that you can grow into rather than packing up and moving elsewhere um, but obviously for, for obvious reasons not everyone has you know that opportunity or um, you know, and circumstances force you to move. So, just to talk through the process of what once you've got this space, like how how did you make this space brewery worthy, and and how did you move everything and reset everything up, and and whilst keeping your business going? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a very stressful time, and um, and the, the the timing certainly wasn't ideal because we were doing this well, we. St- and we signed the lease here in December 2019. <laughs> See where this so, is going. So, <laughs> yeah, obviously, um, it takes a while to move a brewery, and then 
when it when it was all completed, it, it was strange lockdown. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was literally the, for the first time we brewed here. When you, I mean, when you, so we knew the lockdown was coming at that stage, but we 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 we'd only really got everything finished and everything working. We needed to brew to make sure, you know, it, it worked effectively. That day was the Friday that they'd shut the pubs down. They right. announced it during the day. So like, and we were sort of as. We, yeah, we'd sort of mashed in, and the, as you'd expect, having just moved everything over and all yeah, everything rewired, and there were a few tweaks and a few niggles, and it took. It, 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 I think we you know, started at eight o'clock and didn't finish till seven o'clock. Um, but just as the day was going on, just this sort of developing situation of like, oh, they're probably showing it tonight. Right, right, agree. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just and at the time, we didn't do any small pack or anything, um, so that was totally going into really as a Cascan, well, Cascan K Brewery. Closing down completely, having just moved and emptied the bank account to move. <laughs> having just brewed as well. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in terms of the, the... So we gave ourselves like three months or so to do it. Um, and when we came in, it, it was just an empty shell. So built cold store, malt store offices. You know, we got a, got a flooring company in to dig out the drains and put a nice proper screed, screed for resin flooring in. Um, and that bit was re- relatively smooth because that was more more or less just handing off to someone, and, mm. and we had a bit of time to do it. And but yeah, the tricky part was really when it came to moving the kit and trying to keep operating and keep our customers happy and have beer, and obviously the downtime of moving. I mean, in some ways, the pandemic sort of sort of worked out reasonably well <laughs> in, in a sense because pubs weren't particularly busy in, 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 in the run up to that, um, and. It also meant we didn't have we didn't have very, very much stock left mm. um, going into lockdown because we hadn't brewed for a bit whilst whilst we were moving. Um, but we tried we tried to do it. The, the, the original plan was to do it by sort of moving, having some beer still in tank, then move the brew house over, packaging the beer, move a couple of tanks over. It didn't quite work out that like yep. that. Um, I mean, we used a, a company called Pure World Stainless, um, who have manufactured some tanks for us and done some other jobs for us. To sort of do the bulk of the move, and they were fantastic. Like it, it, it took a bit longer than it was planned to, but these things always do. Like they, they were putting in like putting in a stainless kind of glycol cooling loop, and right. which, we, which we never had previously alongside it, um, and a bit more some new some new pipe work, and, and um, the, the actual physical moving of it, it was it was uh, hire a forklift, hire a hire a big wagon, and. Get the tanks on it. But where we are, so it used, to, it used to be years ago. It used to be a steelworks, and there's, right. there's, there's um, I mean, you can see it here. This, this, uh, this old dolly system. Oh yeah, um, which is actually great because we use that to when we got the tanks in to, to uh, lift them up. Right. Oh, nice. Which kind of saves, yeah, saves the sort of slight hairy moment of getting it off on a forklift and hoping it doesn't <laughs> yeah. fall off. And then uh, you got some lighting cans up there. Is that for a bit of mood lighting or something? <laughs> or you want to put a disco on it? Or... Uh, <laughs> that was from when factory floor opened, and they, we, we had yeah, sort of opened the doors to the room and put some nice lights on them. So right. Just, oh, just, just right. Okay. Show, show it off a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Um, so can, can you? I presume you obviously can see through from there. Then people can like see. Yeah. Not. Not. Yeah. Just the way the, the, way the, the sort of building layout is not. You don't have the, the 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 best view, but we've done we've done a couple of things where we we'll do like a little you know a little tasting and brewery tour thing. Mm. Yeah, going back in back into that space and just yeah when they open we had some nice lights on let people have a little, little look at the brewery. Yeah, and we, we were always planning to do some. We used to have a like a monthly tap room event at the old space, and then we 
weren't planning to do a tap room here, but we've always thought we'd do some kind of events, either just yeah, tours or tastings, or open, maybe open up just do some can sales on the market stand, which we've never actually done yet, partly because of pandemic stuff and there's never it's, there's been other priorities, but that's on the cards this year, hopefully. Um, it's not exactly sure what, what, what exactly what form that'll take, but just but where we are and there's so many people around, it makes sense to open the brewery up a little bit and show it off. Mm. Um, when you were planning where you were going to put your tanks, I presume you'd obviously got a good idea where you were going to put stuff. Most brewers I speak to, they'll, they'll, they've always got like, oh, we should have put that there. <laughs> do you, have you, now, obviously, you've moved out from one place to another. Have you, do you still have that feeling now or is everything in its right place? <laughs> it's definitely, things are in better places than they were. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not completely perfect. I mean, we probably, probably ought to have made the, the, the resin floorings a little bit bigger. Um, so, but we've got... So, I mean, our original brew kit, it was brew house and two sort of flat-bottomed um, cask fermentation tanks, basically. And then we've since added, well, we've got three nice long, three nice uni tanks now. And, but we also, some years ago, when we, when we just wanted a bit more capacity, um, but didn't have a lot of money to spend, we picked up some old dairy tanks, which we used as conditioning tanks. And so the plan here was we've moved, we've moved them across and we still use them, but we were planning ultimately to get to get rid of them and probably replace them with maybe three or three unit tanks. Mm. So we've got still got a bit, a bit of space to grow into. Um, but I mean, as I said, it is, it is a little bit more compact than would have been one hundred percent ideal. Um, but the space to space to add a tank effectively, which which really as a ten barrel brewery, and I don't particularly want to go more than ten barrel. That would take us to be a, being able to brew pretty much you know, every day of the week if we wanted to. Yep. Um, and I'm, I am definitely a kind of proponent of not just chasing growth for the sake of growing. If you if you can find a nice you know a, a level that you're happy at. Um, uh, so there's there's yeah we left space to do that to add a tank or two with getting rid of the old the old dairy tanks and. Added a cold liquor tank which we never used to have, which is fantastic. Oh, do you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it, it. Having again at Sheffield Brewery, we had a cold liquor tank, and it's just it just made a world of difference. That the hardest thing though was when the cold liquor tank got empty in summer, and you still haven't finished your heat exchange, right. and you'd like you'd be there waiting for it to fill up. I, I adopted a method where um, I'd start filling the cold liquor tank from the top while it was going around the um, heat exchange um, from the bottom, which helped a bit. Because right. if you ran out, it was just like, uh you know. Because you used to just have mains, didn't you? You used to just do a heat exchange for the mains, didn't you? We were just on mains, which is okay in the in the winter, but in the summer, it was just, it was just a nightmare. And yeah, you'd be there for, for hours waiting for the transfer, waiting for the work collection. Whereas now, you've know, got a tank for... We, and pumping it through as well, and it just it's yeah, shape. Well, yeah, in the summer you can shave, shave a good hour off the day and just make things that much more efficient. Um, just makes a lot of it's a quality of life kind of improvement. Yeah, I remember talking to um, a brewery consultant that came in when I was at Sheffield Brewery, and he was recounting um, a client that wanted to buy more tanks. And he was like, "You don't need more tanks. What you need is a proper floor and a, a coal liquor tank." Yeah, and it stuck with me that. Um, proper floor is a big one yeah yeah, that, that makes such a difference um, just 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 being able to just wash it down yeah and everything drains and that's great and it's clean and nice well and, I, having and worked durable. over there you see that floor aren't you yeah <laughs> and, and now I'm in my cellar 
which has no drains and you know um, I've put like this sort of rubber matic down but it, it's like when I went up to Boxy Brewery and brewed with them recently just like Dave just washing it all down the drain because it's on a slope as well yeah. I was just like love brewery floors <laughs> it's an unhealthy obsession no I mean it, it, it does it makes life so much easier and that, that is when we, when we knew we were going to move we thought well let's, let's, let's do that bit properly it's expensive but it, you do it you, know, you, well, you, might, you might have to maintain it but you really do it once and it's so much more difficult to do it once you've already got the tanks in yep um, so yeah I definitely want to definitely want to I mean, we, we, there was, we used signature resin floors for them who were great they were, yep. they were really good you know just more more or less in time and, and, and just definitely to the spec we wanted to, to, yeah. to do. so how, how so you obviously moved in and then lockdown happened literally on the day you were brewing yep. <laughs> so like how, 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 do, how did you weigh that yeah I mean it was well obviously it was very very tough for most people um, and as difficult as it has been in, in our industry or industries you know the beer industries over the last two years I think it's obviously not anywhere near as bad as it's been for lots of other people um, but basically we just shut, we shut down completely right off the bat because like I said we didn't do any any small pack we didn't have any kind of direct customer operation at all we were just solely supplied pubs um, and yeah we were quite vulnerable because we, we just burnt through all of our cash reserves moving the brewery um, and it cost more than it would it cost a bit more than it was due to it was always going to cost a bit more than it was due to. So, so yeah, that was fine. We, we, if, if, we, if we'd been able to crack on straight away, it would have been fine. Um, it, obviously, when you go through that kind of investment and that upheaval and moving, and you, it, you, you have the sense of momentum behind you. So going straight from that to then totally shutting down was, was really quite uh, was really quite tough. But um, yeah, then we did what everyone else did to, to adapt you know or well, we came to you to set us up a, a web shop um, and we started doing uh, started doing canning um, opened up on a Saturday to a little a little shop uh, down at the brewery um, and it just all that stuff sort of just about paid the bills and kept us ticking over which was all we were hoping to do um, and it's left us with with now with those extra outlets um, with doing small pack which we'd always talked about but never never been a priority never really needed to uh, and having a web shop and, and all the things that you've got to do to adapt and kind of keep track with the market, I suppose. So it's it's not it gave us a push to do those things. Yeah, it was just it was just, yeah. Very, very, so, I mean, how did you find the the learning curve with going into can then? Um, if you you know having never done small pack before, <laughs> right at an essential point where like that would be your only like life. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's the only way you can do that. Yeah, and we did a, we did a little bit of. A little bit of uh, bag and box stuff for a brief period, but I'm, I don't think that's a particularly great way to sell beer, to, mm. to, to be honest, personally. Um, and we've, we've always, we have always done mini kegs as well to, to a small scale, so we did, did a few of those. But yeah, the canning, I mean, so we took the decision to, to, to buy our own sort of small scale canning machine. Um, I think a, 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 when you say canning machine, people imagine something huge, but yeah, the, the kind of desktop canning machine. Just because we wanted the flexibility to, to be able to can at a scale and a time we wanted to, rather than get a get a mobile canner in. Um, we had, and those guys were slammed during that period yes, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we did, did, did speak to a couple of people, um, just made some inquiries, but I didn't. We, we had because we'd never done it before. We really had no idea what sort of scale we'd be doing it at. So I didn't want to end up with thousands and thousands of cans of one beer. Mm. 
that we then couldn't sell. Um, so yeah, doing it ourselves made sense. Um, and yeah, it was it was definitely a learning curve, and we're still 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 learning about small pack. It's su- it's such a more such a more complicated world, and, and you've got to control things that much tighter than you know. You sort of pine for the days of just fun cask beer, which is you can't really get too wrong if the beer's yeah. <laughs> you know if the beer's right. Um, and we're yeah we're still we're still still learning through that I think, but um, but it also what it did also do is give us chance to play around with some styles more like like I said earlier we've we've done sours and we've done some you know some some stronger like nine percent stouts and things which not that we didn't play around with, with what we could do earlier in the earlier days but no one really wants cask sour and no one really wants to well, there's not many pubs that are going to be able to sell 72 pints of nine percent <laughs> stout before it goes off so like, it was definitely quite nice to have the chance to 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 yeah, to, to, to experiment that a bit more. Yeah. Um, and yeah. T- we, there were quite a few technical ups and downs with, with with the canning, but I think we got we got to a place where we're happy with the quality. Um, and we're still doing it. Yeah, we're not canning as much as we were. Um, but yeah, the workshop's still up. We still and like Sheffield's quite well served for some great bottle shops. Uh, so we yeah we supply them and ship beers out, you know up and up, up, up and up and down and it just it just brings your beer to a, to a different audience, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Mm. I always liken it to, you know, if you, if you, get, you go for Caspian, it's like going to watch a band, but yeah. um, getting a can or a bottle is like listening to it at home, you yeah. know, or on, you yeah. know, buying the, well, say buying the CD, you buy CDs anymore, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what, what would you say is next for Neepsend? Um, what, what, what are your plans going forward or, or are you just sort of in... I don't want to say survival mode because it makes it sound like you're scraping by the skinny teeth. What, what I mean by that is, um, are you waiting before making any bigger plans? Are you waiting until things settle down, or if they settle down with coronavirus a bit more? Or yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? I think a year ago, or so, you might have thought, oh well, we'll be back to normal at some point. Whereas now. I think what we thought of as a normal is probably never going to be here again. So I mean, there, there are some equipment plans and tweaks we still want to make. Like we, we do, we do cast, we do key keg currently. So switching over to stainless kegs has been in the plan for a long time. Um, I mean, key kegs are great in a lot of ways, but yeah, primarily environmentally. Really, it's not. It was, we do send a lot of key kegs locally, and it just seemed crazy to be sending single-use plastic locally. Mm. So it would be so yeah, buying a, a, a keg filling washing machine it's on the plan um, switching out the uh, the dairy tanks we've got for and probably adding one more unit tank just to give us that extra bit of capacity on the plan uh, whether we do that now I've, we're not in a bad position as a brewery I think we're, we're pretty healthy all things considered um, but it yeah, it's, it's Tough to make the plunge to, to invest at the moment uh, when there's so much uncertainty around. Still, um, we want to have a, maybe a little, a little bit of a, a little bit of a brand refresh in, over the coming months um, and just sort of update that side of things a bit. Uh, and, and like I say, also yeah, possibly like we always did plan to do, just start making use of the space a bit more, to maybe doing a few events and a few, a few things in the area. Um, but like most people will probably. Most people in the industry will tell you that you do end up spending ninety-eight and a half percent of your energy just 
keeping going, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cleaning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I sound like I can hear some cleaning going outside at the moment as yeah. well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough making plans, I think, at the moment, because, it, like I said, there's so much uncertainty, and I think just before Christmas in the UK, with, you know, are we going into lockdown, are we not? Well, I say UK, England, you know, what what's going on? You know, and everyone then starts titrating themselves in a well. We might go to lockdown, or bet not go to the pub, and so on. So it's yeah. you know, it's uh, it's quite a volatile time to to be doing anything or making any any kind of major plans. But as, yeah. as you said, you know, I, I don't think whatever normal is or was, I don't think that's returning. No, I mean the. A lot of people have made this point, but there are, there are a lot of changes that were happening anyway, probably gradually, that, that the pandemic accelerated and you know, a, lot, a lot of pubs were not as busy as, as they used to be and, and the way people view cask beer has changed, certainly. I mean, well, we've never we've never got back to selling as much cask as we used to. I mean, we were, like, overall, kind of turnover-wise, we were pretty much back where we used to be, which is great, uh, sort of 90% at least, or mm. um, at least in the run-up to, to the last couple of months, or the last year. Th- Sort of running up to December, really, when th- things start getting a bit scary again, potentially. Um, but yeah, those trends are definitely there, and I think people maybe. I, mean, I, I, I think it's a real shame that people. I do think people view cask beer very differently now. Um, it seems to be getting like almost relegated to this. To, to uh, like one, one thing we found since reopening is that selling stronger cask beer that seems to be a, a lot more difficult than it used to be um, and that just generally people want or even or, or darker beers in cask um, which we used to we used to, you know, when we, we brewed out and they would just fly out in a couple of weeks uh, whereas now it's a bit, a bit of a a bit slower going and just because people are a bit safer particularly with their cask ranges and they want sort of lo- lower lower strength pails more, more, and that's always was the case but much that seems to have really accelerated um, so that's not really the question you're asking. No, but, uh, but I think that's. I think that's. I mean, I think that's a really interesting topic. I'd be interested just to explore for a couple of minutes before we round up. But um, like, it's it's so sad because cask beer in Britain is just the, the, those two things are so synonymous with one another. You know, it's so yeah. it's so unique, and um, you know, I've, I I miss it terribly. I, I was in Walkley Beer Co. Um, I think it was last week. Um, I had a pint of I can't even remember who it was, but again, it was a, a nice sort of citrus-based, sessionable, pale cask beer. Yeah, and it was awesome. And I thought I've not really had a cask beer for a couple of months. Yeah, you know, whereas. If I'd not had a cast beer for a couple of weeks, you know, until the pandemic, that would be highly unusual. Um, and yeah, it's 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 kind of sad that um, it's fallen by the wayside a bit, and that people aren't. I can understand why people aren't readily stocking it because obviously there's a lot of nervousness and yeah. the pub industry, and you know, you know, money's tight and so on. But it's. Um, I almost feel like from from the brewer side, we need to be maybe thinking of some, I don't know, come up with some creative solutions. Whether it's we, yeah. we start packaging in pins or yeah, or so on. And I don't know. 
just it just kind of feels it that, it just saddens me a bit because it's so Caspi is so great. Yeah, I mean, I love I, lo- I love Caspi. I'm, I'm not wedded to any particular dispense methods. Like I've, 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 I always find it a bit peculiar because there are, there are obviously there are plenty of people out there who will only drink cask or mm. will only drink keg, and I don't understand that because it's good good beer is good beer. Yeah, like, absolutely. And, <laughs> and you don't make like beer good or bad by putting it in a certain container. Um, but as well as obviously, obviously the pressures on pubs that you mentioned there that, that people don't want a perishable product that's going to go off after three days when they don't they can't depend on the levels of trade and, and lots of people have cut down their cask ranges but it's also consumer driven isn't it because there's, there's, there's generational there's, there's people who just don't consider casks now they just won't they just won't drink it so it's just not what they they don't think the kind of beers that they like will be in cask and I think they definitely can be like I mean I, I like New, New England style beers I think are great in cask mm. because that 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 kind of body and that fullness with through a hand pull is great <laughs> I, I prefer but, them to yeah. be honest with the, the ones I've had I, I generally speaking I'm not a huge Nathan fan right but when I've had them in cask I'm like this is actually really nice yeah I mean I think they do that they really suit the, the method of dispense but the, the, you, you, you typical New, New England drinker is probably going to be someone who would gravitate towards keg and can much more than cask uh. it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame I think um, I've always thought that dark, darker beers are, are better in cask in my opinion I mean again it's that thing where the, you're not going to shift a, an imperial stout well there's not many pubs that we have to shift an imperial stout in a, in, a, in a cask in the time required but yeah that, that texture that mouthfeel through, through a beer engine is oh it's, you is know, perfect it's yeah. like um, Thornbridge St. Petersburg they're 7% yeah. Russian Imperial Stout, you know, it's, I I love that beer, and it's you know they only seem to do it in cast these days, and it's just I can never seem to get to one of their pubs, even though there's just one for, around the corner from where I live, you yeah. know, when, it, when it's on. But I remember, um, I, I think this was like possibly November 2019, and I I remember one of my kids had been ill, and I'd been in the house for them for a few days. Um, this is before like self-isolation was really a thing, you know, so I'd, I, I had no idea what was coming in terms of yeah. like, you know, I was going to be staying in the house a whole lot longer than a few days. But I remember going a bit stir crazy and then going to the Hampshire house and having a pint of that and it just been like, just with my book, by myself with the pint yeah. of that, it was just seemed like the most magical experience. Yeah, that's, that's that sounds Perfect to me. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's 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 the, yeah. That's why pubs are so great, isn't it? And yeah. you can't you can't you can't quite recreate that anywhere. And uh, definitely something that we need to need to preserve. Yeah. So um, how, how, what what pubs can people uh, try your beers in on cask, and where can people get your beers from? Um. So yes, we've we've got the. the We've got three pubs in Sheffield, um, effectively. So that's the Wellington, which is the one we mentioned, is just around the corner from the brewery at Shalesmore. Um, then there's the Sheaf View up at Healy, which is one of Sheffield's kind of original kind of real ale pubs, going back 20 years or more. Uh, and the Blake Hotel, which is it's not local to you. Yeah. It's uh, up a thought for Walkley. The top of a very steep hill. <laughs> it is. And I know yes. Sheffield has lots of very steep hills, but this one really is like the steepest hill. Yeah, you really do earn your, earn your pint if you, you go, definitely if you do. go up Blake Street. Fortunately, I walk um, down to the Blake, so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're, 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 all three of them are just kind of cracking old school kind of traditional ale houses. Um, but then as well as those, yeah, there's, we supply various kind of in, independent outlets in Sheffield and, and throughout Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire, Yorkshire really like we've got 
nice little relationship with the guys from the beer engine. We do quite you know quite a bit for them. The beer house, Knucklesaw Road, and the commercial Chapel Town's a nice, good regular stockist to bits and bobs. With, yeah, just you know the, the, the various sort of independent free houses. But we've, we've, we've only ever, I mean, most people do this now anyway. So we've only ever supplied directs to free houses. We've never gone through sort of Seba lists or um, anything like that. Oh, and we buy wholesalers as well who take the beer out to out of the country. But yeah, we've ne- never done the sort of pubco thing um, or certainly would never do the kind of Weatherspoons thing just just go to the go to, straight to the independent independent might as well drop some money to each cask if you can sell it <laughs> well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there is that yeah cool and um, if you people want to buy online what's the website address uh, yeah neeps, neepsendbruco.com um, it's all on there slash shop for the shop um, so yeah you, you can we can you can order for for Nationwide delivery there, and we 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 also in, in, in most of Sheffield's bottle shops. We, we pop up at time to time. We do like a lot of Beer Central, who are fantastic, but yeah, fantastic bottle shop right, right in the middle of town. But yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't go through the list because there's, there's so many of them. But um, uh, and, and and a few a few other ones for sort of regionally as well. But yeah, you can come straight to us as well. Um, we'll ship the beers out. Um, well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.